be in Genesis primarily this morning. The question that I chose is, where are you? Where are you? If you have the outline, you already know where I'm going with that. You can find that in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 9. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 9. That's where we'll bring most of our, our lesson from this morning, although we'll, we'll jump around a little bit. And if I move a little, kind of quickly, I apologize in advance for that. But this where are you question is a very interesting question. Uh, it's one that I don't think was particularly popular uh, with the choices that were given to us. In fact, I don't know that it was one of the options at all. I'm not sure. Uh, but I ended up choosing it for one reason or another. It's one that I can relate to because, well, I use it on a daily basis. Uh, oftentimes, I have a question to ask, and usually it starts out with, where are you? You can ask my wife that. And we're trying to figure out where we're going to eat, and where she is has a lot to do with what the options might be. And so the question usually is, is where are you? And we need this question because of our limitations, obviously. We need to know the whereabouts, sometimes the dispositions of individuals. Um, and in order to know, we have to ask that question. So my question to you is, why would God need a question like that? Why would God need to ask a question, where are you? What I know is that I chose this question because God said it. And I asked myself, considering the criteria that was laid out for us, does this fit the criteria? Is this going to be a good fit? Is this something that I can talk about with confidence? And so, yes, it fit all of the, it checked all the boxes, and I said, yes, in fact, I will choose this question. And I don't know that you can find a better question. Maybe you can, but certainly not a better interrogator a better person, in this case, God, that loves us so much. So, yes, God asked this question, but it's clearly meant for Adam to own the answer of this question. Um, he asked him this question, I believe, no doubt, for teaching purposes, for learning purposes, for Adam himself, and I believe also for us. Um, and it's certainly an effective way in which he presented the question. And it gave Adam, I believe, an opportunity to think about what he had done, an opportunity to think about his mistake. And it's God, as we can't ever forget, who is almighty. He is universal in his power in terms of his omnipresent character, omniscience, and his, omni his omnipotent. He is our only God that we can worship and call the true Yahweh God. He is full of light, and in him there is no darkness and he cannot and will not tolerate sin. That is the God that we worship. And as we go back to Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, we realize quickly that God is the creator of all things. He created this garden that we're going to talk about. And everything that the garden represented, the tree, the fruit, he even created this crafty serpent that we'll read about a little bit. But God is powerful. Psalms 90 verse 2 says, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And in Job 42, verse 2, the record says, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. And so when we go back to Genesis chapter 1, and we read about the beginning. In Genesis chapter 1, the record says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
And if you drop your eyes down to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 10 through 12, the record says, God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together, he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And we also know that God provides for man a very special place, a garden in Eden. And this Eden, it conveys this luxury, this pleasure, uh, this special region that God created especially for man And we use this word paradise to help us understand what it looked like and what it was like to live in this place, which is derived from the Greek paradisos. And it helps us understand that this place, Eden, was like a royal park. It was an amazing place. And we've seen artists and their depictions of what the garden might have looked like. But I don't know that we can, in our mind, understand truly how beautiful this royal park was that God created for mankind. And it's in the garden that we find the first residence of humanity given by God himself. The God that we love and that loves us, he created this garden not for himself, but for Adam and Eve. And unlike these mythical gods that we read about in our schools and have heard about, and unlike the idols that were worshipped in the Old Testament, our God need not be bound by rams in a garden or any place on earth. I mean, the writer tells us that this would only disrupt this um, omnipresent character that God has. I mean, God, we know, is not selfish. He's a loving God. And so he created this place called Eden out of that love. And what we know is that in Genesis chapter 1, verse 24 through 25, everything that he created was good. And as I mentioned earlier, he even created this serpent that we'll read about. And at some point, he was also good. And he created man and woman in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 27. And he created them in a special way. He created them in his own image, it says. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And again, they were good. And in Genesis 1, 31, the record says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Our God is the creator of all created. He is the one true God and provider and sustainer of life. And we ought not ever forget that. He's a special God. And again, this where are you question that I chose It's my choice because God said it, and it's important to me. And I think it's important to everyone here. That's why you're here this morning. The record says in Genesis 1, verse 1, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the preceding verses in verses 3, 6, 9, 11, 14, 20, 24, And God said, and God said, and God said. That ought to get our attention. And I haven't forgotten 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, 
where the record says all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The whole Bible is inspired by God. God said in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our own image after our likeness. The whole purpose was he wanted to have relationship with us. He wanted to have fellowship with Adam. And so he created them, unlike anything else, in his own image that they might have fellowship in a relationship a spiritual one. And so without further ado, let's turn our Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. And let's read Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 19. The record said, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing and pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. 
thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And so what we have here in this record, Genesis chapter 3, 1 through 19, in just a moment of time, we have the temptation to sin. We have the sin and therefore the rebellion against God. We have the denial of the sin and we have no doubt the consequences of that sin. All in 19 quick, short verses. In a moment of time, we can find ourselves faced with a tough question. And I can't help but remember the Gospels. If you look at Luke chapter 4, verse 5, Jesus has this encounter with, you guessed it. And the record says in Luke chapter 4, verse 5, And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Jesus was prepared with scripture. He was a formidable foe for the devil. Didn't work. But that's not our lesson today. We go back to the record in Genesis chapter 3. And we see in verse 8. That God came walking. He came quickly, but he came walking. In verse 8. And also it says he came in the cool of the day. Very interesting, isn't it? He didn't come like we know God comes sometimes. Sometimes he comes in thunder and lightning with thick darkness, as we know in Exodus chapter 20, 18 through 21. In fact, the record in Job gives us another idea of how fearful God can come sometimes. Job 37, 1 through 2, it says, Elihu proclaims the God's majesty here. It says, at this also my heart trembles and leaps out its place. Keep listening to the thunder of his voice and the rumbling that comes from his mouth. And how about Job 38, 1 through 3? Really the entire chapter here. It says, of course, this is the Lord uh, answering Job. It says, then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. You see, our God, he can come in many different ways, depending on the situation. But it seems that God in this situation in Genesis chapter 3 came in a very customary way. From what I read, it seems like it came, he came in a way that was very normal, perhaps. In a way that had this sense of peace and calmness and love. Possibly like I remember my mother. I could be in the home and hear my mother getting home. And she closed the door a certain way. I could hear it. And when she got out, I could tell by her footsteps that it wasn't my sister or my aunt. It was my mother. I could tell by the way her footsteps. I could be in the house and hear her footsteps on the sidewalk. No, that's, that's my mother. She would close the front door a certain way. I could tell. And it seems that you have this, maybe this same idea being brought to us in Genesis chapter 3, God in the garden. He doesn't come lashing out of control in fury. 1 John 4, 7 through 21 tells us a little bit about God's love. God is love. And so we get to this question, Genesis 3, verse 9, and the question is, where are you? Where are you? 
It is interesting to me because it's God's first question in the Bible. And it's shortly after the actual first question in the Bible, which is presented to us by the devil himself. And I ask myself, only if Adam and the woman at this time, only if they would have considered the serpent's credentials when she was confronted with this, when Adam was confronted with this, if only they would have considered his credentials. God asked four consecutive questions. Question one, Genesis 3, verse 9, where are you? It's almost like he's saying, how are those promises going that the devil promised you? How's that going for you? How's that new vision and that new knowledge? How is that going for you? Where are you? Question two, verse 11 says, who told you that you were naked? Question three, have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Question four to the woman, he says, what is this that you have done? The point is God permits free will. He gives us free will. But Adam and Eve had to answer for the misuse of their free will. You see, choices have consequences. Choices have consequences. But let's look at the serpent for a moment. The serpent, the woman, Adam, they're all here in the garden. And you may ask yourself, why were they confronted with this unfamiliar circumstance? I mean, we know that this serpent, we know he's described as being crafty. But we also know that he was first created by God and described as good. Genesis 1, 4, Genesis 1, 24 through 25. And since we know creatures were good, and, and this particular creature, the serpent, who obviously could speak Genesis 3, 1, and he could walk because of the consequences he got, obviously, in Genesis three fourteen, we can understand that he here is not just a serpent. That's obvious. He is, no doubt, influence, and he is Satan. In Genesis 3, verse 4, I believe the serpent's you will not surely die statement is most crucial. He has no authority. He has no authority. And authority is important, right? God gave authority to Jesus. Jesus gave authority to the apostles, right? So where does he get this authority? Matthew 18, 18 tells us that that is necessary throughout the Bible. Authority is important. Matthew 18, 18 says, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. First Corinthians 4, verse 6. I've applied all things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. Second John 9, my brother Rodney Broadhead has this on his tag, on his car, I love it. Second John 9, Second John 9, everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. And so you might ask, yes, why did God allow this to happen? And that is a legitimate question. 
good table conversation to have, maybe. It's a legitimate question. And it can be answered, I believe, in Scripture. But God has revealed to us enough in Scripture. We have enough. We have Deuteronomy 29, 29 that reminds us of that fact. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and our children. So when you think about why did God allow this to happen, we have Job 1. We know there's some spiritual things that go on that we can't all understand. One thing we do know and that we can hold on to is that John eight forty four tells us the devil is a murderer and he was so from the beginning and he is the father of lies. That's a fact. I brought that up because I wonder sometimes if people think about that. But what about Adam and the woman? I mean, after all, they were our first and are our first parents. They were created in the image of God. Unfortunately, they gave birth to sin. And you could argue, really, in chapter 3, they really didn't do anything right. I mean, maybe Adam naming his wife, maybe you could consider that as a a strike for good. I don't know, but there's not much they did correct in Genesis chapter 3. So, if we want to, let's look... At Genesis chapter 3, let's look at the woman's punishment. The record says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Pain and struggle. In her family relationships. It's not good. Adam's punishment. Verse 17. Because you have listened to the voice of your wife. And have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you. You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat the plants of the field. What exactly did the woman say to Adam here? I mean, the record says that part of his punishment was because he listened to the voice of his wife. What exactly did the woman say to Adam? We have that information. I believe it has more to do with maybe Adam standing by with the truth in him. Maybe it has more to do with Adam standing by with the truth in him. To speak the words of God while his wife was being tempted. He could have reminded her. What God had said. He could have protected his wife from this deceiving. Crafty serpent. As a result, pain and frustration in his working in his working life is part of. Of his consequences. It changed everything for us. This situation. I mean we can't forget that this pain that he's going to feel. His wife as a result is going to feel his pain. The pain that she feels. And the consequences in the household have changed. So he's going to be affected by her pain. These things didn't exist. When God first created this place. In Eden. 
Unfortunately, Adam and Eve had to feel the pain of losing a child in the worst way. Their child killed their child. The pain that they went through, I cannot understand it. But we can't say, or maybe we can, were they taught? Did they know better? But Genesis 2, verse 17 says, God says, But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Well, maybe they weren't listening, right? Maybe God said that, but maybe they were not listening. Maybe they were playing. But Genesis 3, 3 says, Well, the woman said, Well, God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And it's just a reminder for me as a parent how much responsibility we have to teach our children. You can bring a lot of things out of this part of the scripture, but as a parent, I look at it and I think how important it is for us to instill godly values in our children, both in teaching, but also in our deeds. In word and deed, we have a lot of responsibilities and teaching our children to fear God is one of those things we have to do. We have to guide our children. We have to illustrate. But for whatever reason, Adam, although given dominion over the creatures of the world, Somehow they forgot the serpent's limitations. They forgot his role. They forgot his authority or lack thereof. And they quickly adopted this casual approach to sin. And that's what you find here. Adam and Eve, they had this casual attitude towards sin. And it's like our culture today. I mean, our culture today, the world we have today says... And I agree. We have three different lives. The world says you can have three separate lives. It says you can have a public life, you can have a private life, and you can have a secret life. That's what the world tells us we can have. You can have that. And my guess is everyone here has that, and you should. I believe that's true. So, while there's nothing wrong with that, We can't compromise what God has said in any any one of those three lives. They all have to complement one another and never conflict with God in this holy word. In regard to public, private, and secret lives, and they can't conflict with God... When they do, this is what can happen. You remember David? We all remember David, obviously, in Bathsheba. 2 Samuel, chapter 11. You can read 2 through 5. You can read more or less of that. But how does that work with this public, private, and secret life? Well, Bathsheba's husband's out fighting. He has no idea. It's a secret to him. He had no idea. There's people in the community, people in the royal palace that might have known More importantly, God knew what David had done. How about Ananias and Sapphira? Acts chapter 5, 1 through 11. Christians are given to those in need. 
selling their property, in this case, Ananias and Sapphira said, yeah, we'll sell some land. And they lied about the value. It became a problem. They lost their lives because of their secret. And how about Achan in Joshua chapter 6? Joshua chapter 6 and 7. Walls of Jericho. You got a problem here. Achan decided in secret, you know what? I'm going to take 200 shekels of silver. You know, I think I'll take that bar of gold. And uh, I'm going to take that cloak of Shinar as well. For me and my family and our benefit. No one will be harmed. No big deal. The problem is it was a big deal. He lost his life. His daughters lost their life. His sons, they lost their life. He knew better, and he didn't do better. And it's just kicking the can down the road type of approach you can have with sin. We get hung up on what's going on around us, how we can profit, how we can make a profit. Sometimes it's about trying to fit in. Sometimes it's climbing the corporate ladder. What's the big deal? Let's break a few small rules. And on the other side of that, public, private, and secret life, we have great examples. We don't have time to go through them all, but how about Daniel? Daniel chapter 6, praying in his window. All three of those lives collide together. He wasn't doing it to show everybody, but those three lives collided together. Some Christians are afraid to pray right now in restaurants. You ever seen someone... Family's praying and you got one or two of them that are kind of like trying to make it look like they got a headache while somebody's leading prayer. Don't want anybody to see them praying. How about Matthew 6? We know that we need to do good to those in need. The record says in Matthew chapter 6, 3 through 4, that when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what the right hand's doing. Give in secret. See, there's a way to make all that work public, private, and secret, but we can never conflict with God's holy word in doing that. And we know that God does not have a casual attitude towards sin. We have this record in Genesis chapter 3 where he's coming in the cool of the day, he's walking. But how about Genesis chapter 6? What kind of God did you get there with sin? Well, he flooded the world. It got so bad, he ended it. Romans 6, 23, we know the wages of sin is death. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, you shall surely die. In John chapter 2, 3, 13 through 14, there is Jesus in the temple. And what does he find? He finds people selling oxen and sheep and money changers. And he drove them all out of the temple. And in John chapter 2, verse 17, his disciples said, it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. That's what they remembered. And my question is, do we have that zeal for our house? What about Adam and Eve? They should have drove that serpent out of their house. He walked into their house. They should have drove him out just like Jesus drove out these people out of the temple. It's a house of prayer. This garden was a house that God built, that mankind was supposed to enjoy their paradise. But they didn't drive him out. And so I asked myself, what are we letting sneak into our paradise, in our home? 
What are we letting seep in through the TVs and through our, our cell phones? Or maybe the company we keep? What's the matter with a little potty mouth? What's the big deal? No one heard it. It's secret. What's wrong with a girlfriend? Nobody's going to find out. Could be the distractions are your problem. I have a problem with that. Some people are playing with their phones in church sometimes. Probably not here. But Proverbs 23, 23 says, Buy truth and do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding. That's what we're here for when we show up on Sunday mornings. We're trying to find wisdom. Buy that. Publicly, privately, secretly. Buy that. Invest in that. What we know is that this tree was good for food. It was a delight to the eyes. It was was there to desire to make one wise. And we see that same kind of language as we've read many times in 1 John chapter 2, right? Verses 15 through 17. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. You remember that. You see, Adam and Eve, they sought moral autonomy instead of godly obedience. They forgot. But the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Proverbs 9.10. So did they, did they seek humility? Did they seek humility in their dominion? I can't get over that. They had dominion over the world. Did they seek humility in, in, when confronted with this instruction from another source? For whatever reason, the person that gave them that power, this paradise... They didn't consult with him when some foreigner, unauthorized, presents them with something they know did not come from God. But Jesus had great power. And he humbled himself. As Philippians 2, 8 through 9 tells us. But God says to Adam, where are you? And when he asked Adam this question, what is Adam? Well, he's without that comfort that he had. You remember the comfort that he had? Remember the comfort he had in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18? At last. You remember when he got his wife? At last. You can almost see the smile coming off the pages. He finally had someone he could have as his companion. And also verses 21 through 23. God said, where are you? Well, he's ashamed is what he is. Although he once knew no shame, he's now ashamed. Genesis two twenty five. Adam, where are you? He's fearful. We know that. Now, he had peace and security, as we know in Genesis two five through nine. So although he denies his fault and his guilt by passing the blame to God and the woman, he actually confesses his guilt by his self-described fear and shame, which we know comes from sin. And so when confronted with these type of things, we have to ask ourselves as Christians, where are you? Where did you get your knowledge of good and evil from? 
As Christians, we know we have to have Scripture to do anything that we do. And that's what we try to do here. We have to have and we try to have a scriptural basis for everything we do here at Oak Mountain. And we try to take in consideration not just one passage, but all passages because of passages like Isaiah 28.10. For precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. And examples like Ezra, Ezra 7.10. It says, for Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rule in Israel. And as we mentioned earlier about 2 Timothy 3, 6, all scriptures breathe out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness. You see, Adam and Eve were once clothed with innocence in the world without sin, but they gave it up for the provisions of the flesh. But Romans 13, 14 tells us that we ought to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh to gratify its desires. You see, in their dominion, you have this serpent. He tempted the woman and she listened in her, call it immaturity, but I'm going to call it today casualness. She did not consult with God. But you take someone like Solomon, young, inexperienced, got this entire kingdom. What does he pray to God? If you turn to first Kings three, seven through nine, he says. And now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? That's the attitude we have to have when faced with unfamiliar circumstances. Consult with God about those things. And we have that. It's the word, it's the word of God. So what we know now is that Jesus teaches us a little bit about the garden we have today. It's a little bit different than Adam and Eve's garden. The garden we have now, the seed that we're spreading is the gospel. And like the seed and the fruit and the vegetables, it is our job to spread the seed. It's not just to hold on to this knowledge. Our job is to spread the seed and God will give the increase. It could be that you're with us or listening or know someone that might hear from you from time to time. It could be that you have some people that doubt the scripture. They doubt that God is real. You have to ask yourself, why is that? Did you get that from your parents? Did you get that from your brother? Did you get that from your, your community friends? All I'm asking is that you challenge it. That's all I'm asking. But I know as parents, we will be held responsible for teaching our children. We know so. Deuteronomy, 20, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 reminds us of that. But whether you're a child and you're not sure if you're of age or you're a parent or you're a man or woman, broad brush. 
Who is responsible for our souls in judgment? Ezekiel 18.20 says, The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. And so, I challenge yourself, challenge yourself to study the word of God. Don't think you're going to be able to be like Adam passing the buck to somebody else. It didn't work for him. It won't work for you. It won't work for me. Make God your source of knowledge of good and evil. Second Timothy two, second Timothy, excuse me, chapter four. Verses 1 through 5, it says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of the evangelist, fulfill your ministry. The key, we want to be in the presence of God in all that we do. That's what this lesson is about. It's about being in the presence of God. Are you in his presence? Are you out of his presence? What's the big deal? What's God's reach? All those things have been covered right here in Genesis chapter 3. So if you will, I'm going to quickly go through a few scripture in the last few minutes here. Relative to the presence of God. How about John 14, 23? And we don't need a garden to be in the presence of God. Jesus says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Second Thessalonians chapter one, verse nine. Obviously, they here are those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. The record says they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. How about Luke 1, 19? Gabriel. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I will sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. First Corinthians 1, 28 through 29. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are so that man being might boast in the presence of God. And the last two is going to come from Jonah in Genesis chapter 3. But first, Jonah 
chapter one, verse three, the record says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city and call out against it for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. And lastly, in Genesis three, verse eight, what a close relationship they had. The writer says, and they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. It didn't work out well for Jonah. He ended up, as we know, in a very large fish's mouth. And God got him redirected. We know what happened with Adam and Eve. Why would you ever want to be in the presence of God and then say, no, I don't want to be in his presence anymore? I'm sure if they could speak to us today, in fact, they are speaking to us in the scriptures. It's a no brainer. God asked Adam and Eve four consecutive questions, beginning with, where are you? The serpent, he just gets sentenced. But the woman and Adam, although they're punished, we have to remember that all snakes because of one. All women because of one. All men because of one. Cursed. Cursed. So you do matter. I do matter. I'm one person. But what I do will have an effect on someone else. Believe it or not, it does. God's plan is revealed through Scripture from this point on. We know it. We know that woman's offspring was going to deliver a death blow to Satan. All those things have come to fruition. God uses the Old Testament as a schoolmaster, a guardian, until we get to the cross. But today we're responsible for obeying the gospel. And so I challenge you, I challenge myself, challenge those you love. Today we are responsible for obeying the gospel. And so I ask, where are you? And how's that going for you? Will you be full of shame and fear at the judgment? You know, the world is right. We do have three lives. We do have a public life. We have a private life and a secret life. And I enjoy every last one of mine. But on that day, when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus, Romans 2, 16. And also for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Second Corinthians 5.10. So again, I say, where are you? Are you or we in God's presence? Thank you for your time.